Hello there, my friends, and welcome to the fourth episode of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and if you're just joining me, welcome to the show. Well, today we're going to be covering Superman, Lois, and Clark, Issue 3. And this is a doozy of an issue, folks. There's a lot more stuff going on in this issue than there was in the last issue, and I can't wait to get to it, but there's a few things we need to cover first. We have, I got some feedback, so that's awesome, and I've got a promo to play from a great podcast from two people who have really inspired me do this show. I've listened to this show for years. I love it. You all should check it out. And it is, in my opinion, the definitive Superman podcast. We'll be right back after this uh, promo for the show, and then we'll get into some feedback. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailitude.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And our feedback for this episode comes from our friend Gene Hendricks. And I really appreciate you writing in, Gene, as you're pretty much the only one for this episode. <laughs> uh, thank you, though. I do appreciate it. His subject line is Episode 2. On to the rebirth coverage. First of all, thank you for reviewing that. Now, I don't have to read it. Winky face. I don't know if I should actually read the winky face, but I did, so there we go. <laughs> I kid. I'm out of, but I'm out of new comics right now between not being happy with the industry and the prices, but I'm really glad that you're enjoying it. I like the production values on this episode, especially the drop-in of the Magnum music. You've been playing around, haven't you? No better way to learn. Gene. Well, thank you, Gene. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've been kind of fooling around with the audio, and I was so excited I got the Magnum cut into work. Now I'm just worried that J. David Weeder may sue me for kind of stealing his shtick a little, but hey, Pad Smash has been off the air for two years, and I really miss it. So if you happen to listen, J. David, please bring back Pad Smash. I have so many questions. Also, uh, as I've mentioned before, Gene has his own podcast, The Hammer Strikes, which can be found at thehammerstrikes.com or at thehammerstrikes.blogspot.com, and also the Hammer podcast that can be found at twotruefreaks.com. Now, there was a peel back the curtain. There was a few other things Gene wrote in his email, but that's for a super secret project I'm kind of working on, and I can't talk about it. But rest assured, when it comes out, 
It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best thing I've ever done. Granted, this is only episode four, so I can't really say <laughs> I don't have much of a measuring stick, but this will be something very special. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, so that's it for the feedback this week, so let's get into the main event, the reason why you're all here and have put up with this voice for as long as you have, Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 3, Arrival Part 3, or blank. Trust me, it actually is a lot scarier than you first think it is. Okay, well let's look at the cover first. This is a really stark and spooky cover. There's like these black ephemeral hands almost look like you know they're made out of the stuff of the carnage symbiote just reaching towards Clark and Lois who are in the background and Clark is pushing Lois behind him and it's just it's creepy it's frightening the colors oh I have to figure out how to get images onto the podcast because this image needs to be seen it's just spooky there's like this weird blue eerie light that highlights the characters it's just it's scary it's really scary and this this whole issue is going to be a very scary issue now I do have a few criticisms not many but they do need to be known the coloring on Clark's belt's a little off there's a coloring error throughout the series his belt has been the silver like his S but here it's just solid black with silver outlines so I don't know if maybe the cover was done before this even the first issue and const and you know design was finished so I'm willing to forgive that Lois looks great but she looks more 90s image-ish there's no to very little curves on her and what there are are highly exaggerated I'm trying to keep this family friendly but if you're familiar with how women were drawn in 90s image comics then you can guess as to what she looks like her face, on the other hand, is a, is great. It's really good. I love her face. Clark's face looks great. Hair, the lighting on his beard, on his face, is just amazing. The only thing I don't like on Clark is he has, like, these veins bursting out, almost like he's about ready to either have an aneurysm or Lois really, really needs to put more fiber in his diet. So, overall, I love the cover. It's definitely a creepy cover. It definitely fits in the tone of this issue, and I can't wait to get into it so let's also as I forgot to mention <laughs> I have a tendency to do that when I get excited the cover credits hello McFly the cover credits are Steven Segovia and Ellery Santos and it is just the I have no idea who these people are I apologize but it's just great it's really great and I'm going to figure out how to get this to show up on the podcast because this needs to be seen Okay, so the issue was released on December 30th, 2015, with a cover date of February 2016. The credits for the issue are the usual ones. Writer, Dan Jurgens, Penciler, Lee Weeks. Inkers, there's a few of them. Scott Hanna, Sergio Carrero, and Lee Weeks. Colorist, Brad Anderson. Assistant Editor, Andrew Marino. Editor, Eddie Berganza, Superman Created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now, the one thing I have to make a comment on with the credits is, as I've listened to a bunch of comic book podcasts, the one thing I've learned is if there's a bunch of inkers on a book, that's usually a sign that it was getting a little close to the deadline. 
and they needed to rush it a little bit. And sometimes that can make the art very hit or miss. I'm very happy to report that in this issue I couldn't tell any difference. It didn't seem rushed. It's still a breathtaking issue, and the art is really well done in this, so I'm very happy on that point. Okay, well with the credits out of the way, let's begin. Several years ago, we opened on the town of Rusty Ridge, a quaint town of 3,106, where the local high school team, the Mountaineers, have just won their first division title in nearly 30 years. Clark is in the narrator's chair for this issue and tells us that he has settled into a nice groove of working behind the scenes and not having to reveal himself to the general public in his superheroing. However, that all changed when one day a man dressed all in white, looking a lot like the mist from James Robinson's Starman run, came to Rusty Ridge. The white stranger, who is known as Blank, came to town and proceeded to completely destroy the entire population. Police and the National Guard attempted to stop him, but their efforts were to no avail. This tragedy required a Superman. Pinning the Man of Steel under two burning tanks, Blank senses that Clark is still alive, and in a glorious one-page splash of anger, where for me this occasion absolutely calls for the glowing red eyes of anger, but we don't get it, so it's even more intense. Clark vows to put an end to Blank's rampage. For this isn't the only town this monster has destroyed. Blank appears to have both telepathic and telekinetic powers as he easily disables the tank Clark throws at him. Yes, he threw a tank at him. And I can't stress how glorious that is. <laughs> and then he throws Clark across the street. With no sign of Clark, Blank proceeds to head out from the devastation he caused and ponders where he should perform his art next. Bursting from the road beneath Blank, Clark grabs him and shoots off into space. Struggling with the decision as to become the madman's executioner, which he has done in the past under extreme circumstances, when they were rightly justified. But that is not who Clark is now and he is taken off guard by Blank reading his mind. Furious, Clark pushes them even further into space. But calming down a little, Clark knows he's changed. He knows he can't kill this man. He takes Blank's unconscious body and searches for a place that the madman won't be able to kill again. Whew. Friends, this is a very emotional first act, and it's so much more emotional than the shockwave attack on Chicago in the previous issue. When I first read this, I had to stop and think for a minute as to why this scene meant more to me than shockwaves did. Because while he attacked the city, people were dying, buildings were collapsing, but here's the key difference. With shockwaves attack, we never saw the devastation, we never saw the destruction. And this small town, and it's very similar to the small town I grew up in, it's a complete disaster. Buildings are smoking and burning, cars overturned. We see in the very first panel an outstretched hand lying lifeless on the road, and it just brings home how much of a monster Blank is. On the bottom panel of the page, it shows the fire reflected in Blank's eyes, and he is just reveling in the death and destruction he's caused. His speech is absolutely 
terrifying. This is not a man, but this is a monster in every sense of the word. And later, I'm going to give you a little taste as to what this guy is all about. On page two, panel three, there's a sign that shows, you know, welcome to Rusty Ridge population. And he removes the numbers to zero. And it's just chilling. And he's flipping about it. He says, hmm, ah, better. Accuracy counts. And this is just, I hate this guy. I hate him more than any villain super, I've read in Superman in a long time. I, I just, I can't describe how, how much this guy is a great villain. I mean, he, right now he's putting even Lex Luthor to shame just on what he's done. Now, on page three, it's a one-page splash that is just great. We see Clark pushing the tanks off him. Fire is blazing around him, and he is ticked. The best way I can describe how awesome this scene is, is if you've seen Star Wars Rebels, specifically season two premiere, where Darth Vader picks up the burning walker wreckage off him. Yeah, just instead of Darth Vader, it's Superman. Yeah, that's how awesome this picture is. And... Instead of seeing the glowing red eyes, which, again, in this case, are 100% justified, and the fact that they're not there just shows how angry Clark is, because it's not the glowing red eyes that show his anger. It's the fire. It's the bright reds, oranges, yellows, bursting around him, just engulfing him, and it is glorious. I really love this page. You have to buy this issue just for this page. He also says a choice word but I can't say it on a family-friendly podcast. And actually, I've read ahead, and there's a major plot point that involves a choice word, so I'm trying to have to... So I'm going to have to come up with a more family-friendly term, because, again, I'm trying to keep this for all ages. Okay, and then Clark throws a tank at blank. What else do I need to say? Clark throws a tank. Enough said. And Blank isn't stupid either. He recognizes a resemblance between Clark and the new 52 Superman. But he just thinks that Clark is either an older brother, maybe a cousin, and Clark just replies, neither. And of course, we know why. But he's not going to tell this monster why. And I'm not even going to call him a man. I'm calling him a monster. Because once you've reached this kind of atrocity, you're not human anymore. And in my opinion, you've lost your right to live after this because remember the narration says this isn't the first town he's done this so this this goes beyond something like the joker or even doomsday and clark would be completely justified in exercising lethal force and we'll get in more into that in in a minute so we see clark grabbing blank and he heads into space and that is awesome and this is just how much Clark views this man. He says, blank. I hadn't encountered anyone like him on our world. Someone so incomprehensibly evil who required such an extreme response. That wasn't the first time he'd wiped out a town, but it'd be the last. And with that, Clark grabs blank and shoots off into space. And the only thing cooler would be if he just threw him into the sun. But that's not Clark right now. That's not Clark, 
that's not Clark anymore after exile. He has decided not to be executioner. He's leaving that to the courts. And Blank takes advantage of Clark's indecision. He knows that Clark wants to kill him, but he chooses to isolate Blank somewhere else, and that's really good. I really love the decision on Clark. It's just... This has been one of the most chilling first acts I've read in a comic in a very long time, friends, and I absolutely love it. Oh, what does that say about me exactly? Oh boy. Well, it's just great drama. It's really great drama, and it's a struggle not just against a physical threat, it's also a struggle against yourself. And that is great drama and why I love this issue so much. Okay, now... On to part two, and I really need to figure out a better way for transitions, but I am not that good a writer yet. <laughs> All right, we return to the present. After an odd one-page splash of Clark flying over an oil tanker, which makes no sense because we last left him and Lois in the family barn, and, you know, in the family barn, I wonder if there's a loft for John. All Kent barns should have lofts. Ever since Smallville, that's been my hard and fast rule. All Kent Barnes should have lofts. <laughs> we continue with Lois and Clark's conversation from the end of the previous issue. Again, the one-page splash makes no sense. And I don't mean to nitpick, but it's a little wonky on that. So, we pick up where Clark and Lois were talking about their cover and whether or not it's intact or if they have to, you know, run from Intergang and become new people, assume new identities, pull a Michael Weston. Clark assures Lois that their cover is intact and that Lois and John will not need to run. Now a small part of Clark wishes that Lois wouldn't pursue her and she reminds him that that's dirty pool for using her own words against her. And then we get our first Smallville of the series. Yes! I love when Lois uses Smallville. It's just... Uh, I love pet names when people care about each other and that's... Yeah. Now, Clark is only kidding. Well, slightly. Lois began a simple smuggling investigation and hadn't planned on it turning into a major investigation to the deadliest criminal organization around. She just followed a story. And that is Lois Lane. Knowing that together they'll get through this, the couple embrace, and before I have to change my rating from all ages to PG-13 or higher, <laughs> John interrupts the couple as he gets ready for the school bus. Wait a second, if he rides the bus, then why did Lois drop him off at school the day before? Hmm. That's a, that's a little odd. Now John is amazed by the new car in the driveway, and Clark tells him that it's a loaner from the repair shop, as Lois's car will need some body work following their attack by the roadside muggers. And I probably shouldn't be doing quote fingers on an audio medium. <laughs> Excited by the chance to talk to the police, John's hopes are dashed by Clark, as he said that they had already taken Lois's statement and had left. John is disappointed, and we get an official mom language warning. John is excited to tell his friends the story of what happened, but admits to his father that he was scared. Well, only a little bit. Kneeling and looking his son in the eyes, Clark tells John just how proud he is of how well John handled himself 
Oh, the feels right now are just off the charts. He asks John to promise not to tell anyone so the police can handle the matter. After the bus leaves, Clark changes into his work clothes and assures Lois that he will follow John to school just in case. As he takes off, Lois asks what happened with the Excalibur. Clark says the ship appeared empty. He doesn't know what happened with Henshaw, but he intends to find out. Wait. Did he just lie to his wife? Oh, this won't end well. Arriving at a desolate mountain plain. Again, why isn't there an exact location? First it's an unknown jungle area, now it's an unknown mountain location. The Himalayas would work. Everybody knows the Himalayas are a mystical area. You just say Himalayas and it works. We see that Clark has built a new fortress of solitude. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the Kryptonian technology that helped build the original one, so he had to make do with pure earth tech and whatever he could scrounge. I'm wondering if Wayne Industries needs to do a little bit of an audit. Well, as long as they don't have a sniveling accountant. Wait, I am a, an accountant. Well, as long as they don't have me, they should be okay. So, the fortress is mainly being used as one part garage, one part workshop, and one part storage shed for weapons of mass destruction. You know, like all dads have, especially after chilly night. <laughs> Traveling through the fortress, Clark enters the mysterious laboratory from last issue, and we see the unconscious body of Hank Henshaw. Clark has been having his fortress AI monitoring Hank's vitals, and there has been no change whatsoever, which is definitely not normal for a human being. Clark begins to examine whether Henshaw has begun showing any indications of developing powers when an alarm begins to blare. With a sudden gasp, Hank Henshaw rises from the table. And again, friends, I really don't understand the one-page splash of Clark flying over the ocean. If it was just the opening page right after the cover, it would have been fine. A lot of comics do that, just to kind of, you know, give you a blurb into the issue to say, hey, this is, you know, new and exciting. But this is page eight of the story. We've had a lot of story, a lot of narration and action, and it just doesn't make sense time-wise as to where we left off in the last issue. And I know this is nitpicking, but, and I am really trying to be positive, but in my opinion, this just doesn't flow right. It just seems out of place. And it could be the result of that rush, uh, with the th rush to get to deadline. Now, I can't say that for certain. That's just my theory. The conversation between Lois and Clark is a great adult conversation. We have two people with legitimate worries, and they're working through it. Again, this is a great family dynamic. This is what I love about this story. And he, we also see that John, like any kid, is great at interrupting parents before things go beyond PG. <laughs> the panel of John going, ah, crap, is just great. And then we get mom's language. <laughs> but in that panel of John, he looks a lot like Tom Welling. I mean, it is eerie the more I look at it. I'm almost thinking, wait, did, did Lee Weeks design John off a younger Tom Welling? Because it is scary good as to how close this is. <laughs> and again, language. Lois in mom mode is just great. I love seeing Lois in mom mode. I've seen her as investigative reporter, as, you know, 
I've seen her emotional and caring towards Clark and Superman, but seeing her in mom mode is a whole new facet to the character, and I'm very happy for it. The panel of Clark's talk with John is just the kind of talk I could imagine Jonathan having with Clark at that age. Also, why do I hear John Snyder as Clark right now? Well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, though, but I really love John Snyder. Okay, tangent about time. Why did he have to be a bad guy in Leverage? I wanted Jonathan back. It made me sad. Okay, tangent over. <laughs> okay, again, why is there a bus when Lois dropped him off the day before? Most kids usually stick to one way or the other. Well, that, at least that was the case back when I was in school. Parents only dropped you off if, you know, there was a doctor's appointment or something. So, it's not unusual, but it just seems kind of weird that one issue she, he gets dropped off to school, the next there's a bus. And now we get into what I think is a really sticking point. Clark either means that the shuttle is empty besides Henshaw, or he just lied to Lois. And if so, that's uncool, Clark. Pa would be wagging his finger right now while eating his pie. He's wagging his finger, Clark. Okay, the new fortress is great. We have the crystal structure of Joel and Lara. Again, beautiful. We see Shockwave's armor, Lois's car, and apparently, as we see, as Clark's walking through the fortress, we see that Clark had fought the Iron Giant's cousin, the Gold Giant, because we see his head, and it's the Iron Giant, just painted gold. And I love that little Easter egg. That's a great little Easter egg. Also, with the voice of the AI, I keep hearing Russell Crowe. Is that bad? No, that was a great part of Man of Steel. <laughs> Turn to the left. Fire. Duck. <laughs> I love that. Alright. So, this, like I said, this is a jam-packed issue, friends. It, it really is. So let's walk headlong into conclusion. Surprised by Henshaw's sudden awakening, Clark is wary of him. Suddenly, bits and pieces of the lab's equipment begin to swirl around Hank. Then some start to move and hurl themselves at Clark at high speed. Clark tries desperately to get Hank's attention when a voice enters his mind. Blank. The madman has taken control of Hank, using him as a conduit for his powers, and he begins to attack Clark. Stunning Clark by dropping a couple tons of rock on him, Blank guides Hank to his cell. Blank wonders just what Hank did for Clark to bring him to the fortress, and also what Hank knows about a little town called Coast City. Entering Clark's holding area, Blank uses Hank to release him from his special cell and says that he had scanned enough of Clark's memories to know that he holds two people close to his heart, a woman and a child. With a chilling tone, he says, let's go pay them a visit. Elsewhere in California, at the home of Bruno Ugly Mannheim, the thugs who led the attack on Lois and John have a little accident in Bruno's pool. And by accident, I mean Bruno throws them into the pool and drops an electric heater in it, because just shooting them would get the cops involved, and it had to be an accident. Elsewhere, in deep space, Space Xena is torturing the Dominator who last had the Oblivion Stone. He confirms that he lost it in the Soul System, which we already knew from the last issue. 
you know, a little, another little bit of wonkiness, I have to admit. Killing the Dominator, Space Xena proceeds to head to Earth. Like she already was. <clears throat> okay, again, Clark is great here. He's trying to reason with Hank and not hurt him. But the look of concern on his face when he hears blank in his mind is just chilling. And I also wonder just how much Hank is aware of and if he even knows what's going on. Granted, we don't know much about him, but I sincerely doubt he would be attacking people right now. Now the combination to the holding cell is 378189. And this has to be a reference to something. It has to be. My best guess is that maybe 1937 was when the first rough concept of Superman was sketched out by Mr. Siegel and Schuster. And then 1989 was when Man of Steel came. No, that was 1986. And then, what does 1981 mean? I need Michael Bailey. Help me, Professor Bailey. You're my only hope. Clark's holding area seems pretty sinister for the Man of Steel, I have to admit. It looks a lot like the prison from Marvel Civil War. But first impressions aren't always correct, as we will find out in the next issue. Bruno Mannheim the godfather of the DC Universe. Oh, it is just chilling how he tells the thugs that he isn't going to shoot them for their failure, and they're relieved about it. Then he just grabs each one of them with one arm and throws them into the pool. Now that's a little too strong for a normal guy. Granted, he's muscular, but I don't think any regular guy can just lift two grown men with one arm each and toss them into a pool. I need to do some more research on him. And also, as I mentioned, this scene with Space Cena seems a little wonky. It's covering information that she already possessed from the end of Issue 2. Now granted, this is comics, and if you missed Issue 2, you'd kind of want to know what's going on in this issue, but it seems a little repetitive because she knows the Oblivion Stone is in the Soul System from the Kuhn Warrior, so was she just confirming what her servant had already told her? And also, the Galactic Empire needs to sue the Dominators because their ship design is definitely a Star Destroyer, just they added one more engine. And again, friends, this is a terrifying issue. As I mentioned, Blank's dialogue is just chilling because listen to what he says to Clark while Clark lifts him up into space. We begin with Clark. You're telepathic. There's nothing I can't do. My God. God and I are unacquainted. His chief adversary and I, tight. Besties. You won't do that to me again. No prison has held me for more than a day. I'll escape to do this again and again and again. You can't stop me. Watch me. Oh, it's just great. This little back and forth between Clark and Blank. I don't know if he's appeared in any other stories, but we can see that from his destruction of Rusty Ridge to his controlling Hank, we see how great a threat he is. He's a great villain. He's a terrifying villain. And right now I'm putting him above even Lex Luthor as main Superman villain. Again, but just for this story.
The scene with Lois and Clark is just as heartwarming now as it was when I discussed it a few minutes ago. We see a couple struggle with a problem and decide to face it as they always have. Together. And that is where strength comes from. You can be a superman. You can be a strong woman. And you can fight a lot. But you can't fight everything. But together, you can fight everything. Clark is also a great dad. He doesn't make light of his sons admitting his fear, and he's reassuring in that page. This is why I love the story so much. I, I just hear the paw theme from Superman the movie playing during that panel, and it's just great. Though I am still unsure if Clark lied to Lois about Hank, but I would love to hear your opinion on it, my friends. I really would. So, overall, the plot moves forward a little bit. We get a little bit more history. And what a terrifying history it is. I can see why Clark was willing to risk public exposure for this man. <sighs> this monster. See Fantastic Four, issue 51. <laughs> this monster. He is just horrifying. We see a great internal struggle, an external struggle with Clark. We see great family moments to kind of ratchet down the tension a little bit, but still be heartwarming. And then the tension gets ratcheted right back up. So it's a great cliffhanger, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you, my friends, as next time as we cover Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 4, Arrival Part 4, or Blank Unleashed. So we'll see you next time, friends, and have a good morning. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you.